Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your hosts, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Hey, how's it going, Lance? It's going, my friend. It's a wonderful sunny day. Here we are. We're coming out of the gloom. It's been two weeks of gloom and doom in Colorado. Yeah, it's sunny. It's nice. I want to call you Lance Keiko every time I refer to you. Nonstop. But... That's what Kyler wants. When he goes to college, he's like, I'm going to introduce myself as Keiko. I'm going to be known just like, he's going to be like Prince, just Keiko. Just Keiko. Kyler's my son, just for everybody who doesn't know. Yeah. One of my sons. Sometimes I do it in school, and I realize, like, they don't know that it's Psycho. They They have no clue that I am just. They think we're faking it with Psycho. Yeah. But then other people, too, like, if you just start off this podcast, they're going to think you're Lance Keiko instead of Lance Psycho. Of course. I'm going to keep it up. I'm going to keep mixing hey, it up. Hey, whatever, however I can amuse you with my, with just by all that, make go. it happen. There you go. What, what, who, what, you know. Who this, are you to, to correct me on I'm your just, name? I'm just here to entertain people. Yeah. That's it. Um, so some good development news. Really good development news. Me? You want me to talk about it? Yeah, why not? Okay. So uh, even though Al put it on the agenda today, is uh, here, here, the good news is, we, what, yeah. we, what Alex and I predicted two years ago and what we were wanting to do with the product that we were putting in, in the location that we have bought land in, it, we, were, we were right, we, yeah. but we had, there was a lot of effort going into it in so, getting it to value that way. So one of our mistakes was we, we were conservative with our estimates of what we could sell for. And we were being conservatives, but someone else was telling us we were being crazy. Crazy. Our, our conservative was was, there, cra- was was crazy to them because they're like, you're never going to be able to sell it for that much. Yep. Never. N- n- yep. Exactly. Yep. So then, okay, we're getting a bank loan and we're basing it off of those numbers. And some of our developers' friends were saying, no, they'll sell for higher, put them for higher. But anyways, the numbers were still kind of working. And the big thing was, okay, no matter what, all this work could be for not if our appraisal comes back at terrible. You know, like it could throw a major wrench. So the appraisal came back and it was higher than what even we expected. Yep. Higher than what we expected. So then it was like, holy cow, now our numbers look better. Now they're not even loaning 75%. Well, and then there was, there was a little Easter egg in there is what I would call it. And that was the land. We yep. didn't know that our land would be valued. Um, I'm going to do a quick percentage here of, about how much more percentage they valued that compared to where we thought it was going to be at. So eighty percent, huh? Higher. What's that? Eighty percent higher. Eighty percent higher. Is that what you? Is that what you're just guessing? Right my, now? my brain. I should just know this number. Thirty. It came in thirty-three percent higher. That was, I was way off than what we bought it for, and it's because we think it's because now now they see the value in it because we we have our plats recorded, right? Is that what you're thinking? That's what I was thinking. Maybe I'm just talking. On the no, fly. no, because. It's in there. The number's in there. It comes for a reason is that you could sell us now and say, hey, look, this has been figured out. You can put this on. You there. can put this on there. Yeah. And then obviously we have proof because it's recorded through the county and our permits are ready to pull. So all of a sudden, we basically we basically got about a, about $90,000 of equity 
because we went through the appraisal process, because we went through all the permitting process. Little Easter egg for me and me and little Al. Yep. We were yep. we were like just I mean ecstatic at the end of the day. I, yep. I couldn't be happier. And and here's how do you create value? There's a couple different ways, right? But in architecture, a lot of it comes through design, right? Literally user experience. And that's what different neighborhoods are. And you can do it through quality, you can do it through uh, you know, trees, walking paths, all this other stuff, right? So the problem with, with comparisons is that, okay, ours hasn't been built yet. So if you're doing immediate comparisons, you are comparing us, constraining us to, to the past. And obviously that's very logical because they have nothing else to base it off of. But what this person did and what we've been doing in, in our head is, no, 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 we're making something new and it's not comparable to what is there. In the, in the particular neighborhood. Yep. It's comparable to these Denver, Boulder, and Prospect. There's this fancy, like one of the best neighborhoods in the United States in Longmont. Very kooky design. Very cool stuff in it. So we are making that in a new location. And then that's where some of the value comes from. And that's why it makes sense. And if I'm you sure... Look up, I want everybody, if you're listening, look this up. Go to Prospect New town all one word prospectnewtown.com and the description is colorado's first new urbanist neighborhood located blah 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 blah. it's a, it's it's at the south edge of the city we operate in yep. and it's it's exactly what alex said and that's what and that's what that was our that was our idea from the beginning was we're gonna take we're gonna recreate what's going on there yeah up in this new area and nobody believed us that like well how that, that good idea like oh cool idea it'll look great but you're you're wasting your time and, and your money and everything because like nobody's gonna go for that price. But when it came down to the appraiser, it was since since there was nothing in the neighborhood that we're developing that is this kind of typology, is this kind of look, they were forced to look at prospect and say, This is your comparable. Yep. And and think about prospect or some neighborhood in your head that doesn't exist right now. So prospect is next to houses. That are maybe six hundred, seven hundred thousand, but they're bigger houses. You know, your traditional like where your professionals live, stuff like that. Prospect even has smaller square footage than its neighbors, but its price, their house price is a million bucks. You are not getting anything for out a million bucks. Literally, that. literally that much. Yep. Um, so you compare it to what it's around, and somehow the, de- the developer had a vision, and it worked out you can't compare it to what's next to it because it's something different. It has its own value. And admittedly, we are, we're the, we're the new kids on the block with our development. And I've talked to some of the, the some of the very first townhomes, some of and the very first duplex uh, that we ever were commissioned, both of those projects, same thing. So like, we feel like we've had uh past precedents based on our professional experience with these other developers working as their architects of like, you can be the first kid on the block. Are you nervous as all hell? Do you hope that the appraiser um, who, who's going to value your project sees also that. sees that and also recognizes I can't value this based on based on the surrounding context? Yep. I'm looking right at your face and right behind you is that project where it's a duplex, um, it's modern, it's cool. And if you look at Zillow and everything, the one right next to it was still built like a couple years before, but like literally... 80s style 80s style compartmentalized so, terrible this one this one is worth more than the one next to it right next to it it's yep. worth more and then what's the better design yeah they're and- designers it's better design it's worth more yep so 
what I what I really liked about what you're what you're going on about that is like architects love to say that I'm you gotta I, I'm I'm worth I'm worth ten percent or I'm worth five percent or I'm worth more than a draftsman because I bring value through my design. It's one thing to say that, but now if you if you're able to do a development like this, all of a sudden you're able to literally show them like, look, I'll even show you how we're worth more, how we're gonna make your project worth more. Here's exactly what we did. Like, what an awesome thing to have in your arsenal. For when you go out there and try to sell clients, it's this is this is awesome. I, I we have the physical proof. We're like, yeah, we were the first ones on the block because we designed it this way, you know. Like, and maybe maybe that's where maybe that's where like you can you can come in and show like and, and convince somebody who's even nervous about buying the land. You know, let's say a developer comes up to you and they're like, and they say that uh, they want you to do a quick study to see how many units you can put on, and they say, well, you know, the only thing is I'm really nervous is like I'm going to be the first one on the block. Well, guess what? We did it too. Here's how you do it. Here's how, and we'll we'll help walk you through the whole process because there's little secrets to making it happen. Why why don't we start with that presentation or that logic? Is with that duplex house, show the one right next to it. Say current value of the one right next to it, R one. And if we could find a couple examples of a house right next to a house, a house right next to a house, and then a development right next to a development, proof, Mm. proof, son, Mm. proof. Because it's one thing to say it. Mm. It's quite another to have, to have backup of it. And, and what, what I would do with our development is, hey, here's what the value was. If you were doing a development in this neighborhood, straight up comps, here's what it sold for. Yeah. So I mean like the, the, the not appraisal, but the analysis that we got six to eight months ago. Yeah. You know, that's what they thought in this neighborhood. Let's, this is- let's peel back the onion a little bit. Uh, a little bit, because here, here's what I, here's what I want. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, I'm just gonna, you're gonna walk you through this, okay? You slash Al and the listeners. Yeah. Okay, Al. Al Gore. Uh, um, my wife said that they're worth X amount of money. Sure. And it was, it was low, right? Yeah. And you layered on top, and you said, Nah, I think they're gonna be worth this. Where did you derive your initial pricing from? Yeah. From. Looked at the market, so it wasn't just off of my gut. There was two parts. There was a gut part and an analysis part. And tell them about your gut part first. So the gut, oh, the gut part was just you uh, can't 10, buy ten years of industry. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Oh, the, my gut part was I've done this before on a smaller scale, so now I'm doing it on a bigger scale. So it just makes sense, logical. My analysis part was I literally looked at the available units, and there was nothing for new. For less than three fifty or three twenty five in in Longmont in Longmont, mm-hmm. so this is new. The square footages are you know about the same. There's nothing less than that. Yep. So it's above three hundred. It's above. Done. It's got to be above three hundred, right? Yeah. But then the final numbers that you came up with again, it, so that that it was all derived from there. Yeah. Well, and then and then literally then I put my gut and my brain together, and I said three twenty five for yep. the small ones, and yep. it came in at three twenty seven. Yeah. So I was wrong. Yeah. Right, in a good way. <laughs> but the bigger one's three ninety five. Was, yeah. was was for a different reason, right? So then here here's where I'll here's where then I'll jump in and I'll kind of peel back the onion a little bit. So if you're buying a if you're buying an if you're just if you're a first time homeowner and or about to be homeowner and you buy a house, right? You say I'm gonna let's say you're in a hot market and the house was on the market for hundred and eighty thousand, you're gonna put an offer in for two hundred thousand because it's that hot. And it was like that in for Colorado for a while. It's kinda it's kinda cooled down a little bit. The fear by putting up two hundred thousand dollars and saying that you're going to do like a a first time home home buyer's loan to where you only put maybe three point five or five percent down. The fear is you don't have the money to make up that twenty thousand dollar gap, 
and there therefore you better hope that the bank and the appraiser agree on yep in this market it's worth even though it's only on the market for 180,000 it's worth $200,000 and the trick was what i've heard over and over again and i've seen physically i've seen just from other deals that I, that i've that i've that i've been a, a part of as just an observer is that Oh, well, how, you know, the appraiser is going to look at the square footages. They're not going to even see your offer. Fake news. It, it, they literally see the offer and everybody wants to make money in the deal. So this is, this is something that really happens. And, and by all means, I'm not a financial advisor. The total disclaimer here, I'm just telling you about my anecdotal evidence and what I'm seeing. So now catapult that thinking into a development, right? You want the appraiser to appraise for the projection that you're putting out there like Alex talked about, right? So how do you do that? How do you? Because what happens is, if you're if you're if you're going to go to a bank and they're going to they're going to hire the appraiser because they have selected ones that they work with. You're going to write the bank a check, and then the appraiser is going to be in contact with you, the architect slash developer. Hopefully, you're hopefully you're both things. But especially if you're putting the developer hat on, you're going to feed them the information. You're going to feed them the square footages. You're going to feed them the numbers. You're going to feed them the storyboards. And guess what happens at the end of the day is the appraiser comes back and he looks at all those things and he considers them. That's why your renderings are absolutely 100% important. The square footage you come up with and fight for with the county, like we talked about before, making sure that every square foot of finished and heated and cooled space is accounted for, even if it's a stairwell on the lower floor, uh, is accounted for because then when it goes to, then they're going to they're gonna see, number one, the square footages that you have fought for. Number two, they're going to see all the renderings and the product that, you, that, you're, that you're trying to establish, especially if it's in an area like we're developing. And then number three, number three they're going to they're, they're gonna go, okay, I know the criteria. Now, what is the comparable? Oh, you've put them in a position that they have to look at what you originally had planned for in your head, even if the surrounding neighborhood doesn't match that. They have to go past that. And that's how you get them to, boom, there. You just created value using all of your design skills. Yep. And then what was also crazy is that normally you can almost guarantee appraisals come in at like whatever someone offers for. This was unique in that it came in higher than what we, hey, we think it should go for this, for this. It came in higher. Like that actually blew my mind. It blew my mind. Blew my mind. Um and the second thing, too, just going back about the land, I wonder how much the appraiser is into what's going on. And if we decided, hey, we're going to sell the land with the documents, anyone who wants to build it could, knowing that, oh, it's already been pre-approved so that you can build this without the inclusionary housing uh, ramifications, whatever those are, are going to be. Like, that adds 100K how, right there. there you that's go. 100K right there. 100K right there. Yeah, and maybe that's where that's why the land ended up, we ended up getting a little... A bit of an Easter egg, so to speak, again. Yeah. About that. So just know that, like, you need, <laughs> there's no, you're sort of leading the horse, right? The whole time. And you're sort of leading the horse, all of these entities into believing in your project. And then the final piece is, you know, I talked with my wife last night and she goes, all right, you've convinced me. Now with the sellers or with the people who are going to buy it, like, yeah, you guys are bringing this product up here and that's, that's the pitch I'm going to make. Cause we, and I go, exactly, exactly. Now you're, now you're on board. This is where we're at. Yeah. It's, uh, this is not a not speculative project. This is a hundred percent. And, and, and <laughs> you got to convince people. Not that location doesn't matter. Not that neighborhoods don't matter, but there's a transition and it's subtle and it, it's the right developers are, are 
doing it and doing it correctly. So Jonathan Seagal's son, again, bought right outside where the hot neighborhood was and then sold for a bunch. Our, our main man, TV, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. That's his whole strategy. I would say the other one, um, you I know, have the, con- the MR, you know, not MRK, but the other M1, I think he kind of does, he does the same thing. What are we same talking about? Thing. It was behind Target. Same thing. And, and then the one, the, the folks you met with, with me on Wednesday who were actually developing a sixplex for, yep. same thing. They know they're the first out of the market. They're the first out of the box, but they're, you're getting a land price for it. it's a little bit cheaper. So you are literally creating the market. I can't stress that enough. And here's why I think it, it flies. If you do that nice development, that nice design, big windows, think about what everything's new in there. You have a nice new TV. Think about your world. That world is perfect and nice and worth that value. But still think about if, if the neighbor, I mean, obviously if you're in Detroit or these other places or, you know, like that probably doesn't apply. But if you're in a relatively okay area, but it's not the hottest neighborhood, you put that hot piece of design on there and then they get in their Tesla and, and it's super nice. And in two years, it'll be driving them. They won't even see the outside and then they'll get in their IBM job or whatever it is. And their whole world is equivalent to that almost nice neighbor, you know? You get where I'm saying now, Absolutely. like their perspective? Absolutely. And it's all about painting that picture for them and them buying into the picture. And then, and then, them, you know, another thing is like, then there's, then there's extracurricular stuff that I think that you think you need to pay attention to. And here's where your realtor comes into play. Here's where other opinions, you have to take their opinions uh, seriously. So there's a bank that's right next to ours, uh, our piece of property. It's an abandoned bank. And one thing I'm going to do ahead of, ahead of the game, I haven't even told you this, is that I'm going to contact that owner. who's our. He's, we've talked with him several times. I'm going to say, hey, what if we offer discounted uh, design services for you? Or what if would you be open to us just coming in there and we get some concept we get some concept drawings going or something like that? So that way, when we go to market this thing, we say like, this is this is going to be redeveloped. It's going to be look at look at how look at how this whole neighborhood is transforming. So brilliant idea. He has some really good concept images, better than the ones that you showed the other developers. So I know he already has them done by another architect. So like either we get a hold of those or you know ask to do some. And then the the pitch to him is, hey, if we get a hold of these, when we're marketing, we, we're giving you free advertisement. You know, like, hey, this is this is upcoming. This is cool. And to get interest in your project and get demand, get pent up demand for what you are doing. So that's that's our sell to him. Like, hey, can we have these? Because people are going to be asking about the neighborhood, stuff like that. Um, and we want to give you free advertisement because honestly, it helps us too. Yep. 100%. Yeah. And that needs to be clear that like when we do our, let's say we put one or two on the market. I literally want to like open the office, like have a blitz, like we'll have a showing, you know, Hey, you can walk through there or you could come walk through here and then show them this, you know, is what's going to be next to it. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Exciting. You get the excitement going, you make the sale, you crush it. Yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. What do you got next now? I got, okay. Um, unfortunately, uh, we had to lay someone off at, at our firm. Um, it doesn't... First time we've ever done it. Yep. doesn't matter why. Um, actually, a, a good employee. I uh, really like that that person. Um, but it was sad. And the only thing I wanted to talk about is because we we kind of laid off someone before way back in the day, but it was kind of mutual. It wasn't a big deal. Is is uh, Lessons learned. 
you know, what to do, what, what not to do. Um, and I think the most important one that is very true is once the decision has been made, you know, you're talking about it back and forth in your head back, you know, it should, whatever. Once it's yes, do it as soon as possible. And I'll give you a little, I'll give you a little bit of backstory again, not naming names or anything. So Alex and I were talking about this and we had several discussions and I, I was already on the, I was already of of the convincing that, nope, the decision has been made. We've done the due process. It's the longer we string this out. Let's say we just said, ah, there's a better day because we asked, I asked this, I asked this uh, question in the entree architect community, like best advice for doing this. Never done it before. Some people said, do it Wednesday, do it Monday, do it Friday, do it whatever day, do it Thursday, which is all over the place. And some of the answers that stuck out were, no, you just, you just do it. You just do it as soon as possible because if you string it out, you're going to second guess yourself. You're going to second, you know, it, it's just going to, there's this weight that's going to be held over, uh, over everybody's head. And at the end of the day, like if your decision isn't going to change, don't let it change and, yep. and just, and just make it happen. The only thing I, this is just personal. I don't like doing it on a Friday afternoon. That's I, fair. I, I think it's, it's better. Even some people said Monday which is great too because in my head, again, this did happen to me. I did get laid off and it was on a Friday afternoon and it was totally different because it was 10 years ago. It was back in the recession, you know, all that other stuff. Um, but just psychologically, if it's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever, okay, I got laid off. Now, you know, obviously emotions will be high, but oh, I can actually do stuff now. I can actually pick up a phone and call someone and set up a meeting immediately. So let's say... Let's talk about the opposite. Let's say you get laid off. Let's say you're listening to this podcast. I'm guaranteed someone listening to this podcast will get laid off. There's a thousand people. You know, it's going to happen. It could be Lance. I could lay off Lance tomorrow. Who knows? Could happen. Keiko. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think action is what you need to do. Um, and I think almost you should have a protocol for, for this eventuality, right? So, <laughs> hey, Salk have a piece of pizza, have some ice cream. Then, then what? Then work out, call someone, get your resume in order, start pounding the pavement. And now you're, you're ready to rebound. Um, and so that's why I like doing it. Not on, on a Friday. Right. I, exactly. You're fried. You're who knows it just, I, there you go. That's maybe the, just the big, again, it's like these big no, no's. I don't think you do it on a Friday either. I think yep. that's a terrible day. Yep. Um, just for us, for us, it's a no-no. Yeah. Yep. There are a couple other no-nos, I think, <clears throat> is uh, you, you you keep it business. You make sure that this is a business decision. This is not a personal decision in, in the discussion. You, 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 you are adamant about that. Um, the, other, the other party is going to want to try to pull you into um, you know, second chances. What can, what can we do better? You just stick. Your decision has been made. Um, but then, then, and then our positive thing, I think you try to do is you try to, you try to do the best you can as an employer and, and soften, soften the landing in a couple of different ways. So what, what, what we did is we said, we called a couple contractors, we called a couple, uh, um, architects that we know, and we said, Hey, uh, we're going to do this tomorrow. Do you have any leads on anything? Could we send, could we send this person your way? I think I think that's a, it's huge of you to try to do that. Nobody did that for me. I know Alex. I know I know no. I know a lot of like what we say over and over again and how we run F nine is because of what people didn't do. 
and, and for us, and, and we tried to because we we thought like we were the best coming out of NDSU. People should respect that. I understand that that doesn't always happen, but you just you learn. It's like it's like your parents, right? You do you try to do, fill in the gaps that you think they didn't do, right? And then obviously you have your own gaps, and then your kids are going to do the same thing. The other yeah. thing is have something written that says, "Hey, you can if it's possible." I understand that not everybody can be a reference, but if it's possible, if you can still be a reference for that person. Say, have something written down because it will, you know, you're going to have your emotions are going to get hit a little bit. And obviously theirs are, but have something written down so that you can, you can cleanly recite it to them and and tell them, Hey, I will be a reference for you. Here's exactly what I will say and read it to them and tell them. You know what we could have done better? I forgot. I got laid off. I got a full reference letter from Daniel Liebskin. That, that, there you go. Letter. There you go. That could be even better with copies and stuff like that. Because then Obviously, if they're at your firm and if you're laying them off, it's for cause, but it's not like that's not the whole value of the person. Because another part of it is like, oh, maybe some of that person's work wasn't there, you know, like dropped off. And then in combination with all these things. So like if you're doing this, try to see, okay, where could they fit? Where do I have contacts? And let me make a list to them to help them. And then also here's a recommendation letter full letter that that we we stand behind um severance pay is also a good thing i will give the the firm that i was laid off from a little bit of credit they did give me a thousand dollars walking money that that was pretty impressive it wasn't full two weeks pay that's what we gave but they you know i think that goes a long way we didn't cut off insurance like i I got cut off insurance immediately no insurance keeps going to the end of the month didn't do stuff like that um but you just try to make it as clean as possible. It's just like anything else, though. If you've ever broken up with a girlfriend, if you've ever broken up with a boyfriend, if you've ever broken up with your best friend, it there's no way to not have that happen. In it, it, it to feel a little bit yeah. like that. And you could think about this in in a boyfriend girlfriend relationship too, because here's how to keep it professional. But you need to have a reason. And and I kind of jumped in. So like. If you had a boyfriend or girlfriend breakup, don't go into like, in this fight, you said this. In this fight, we are, but I only said that because of this, right? Same thing for a business. Well, in this project, this didn't happen, this didn't happen, this didn't happen. And then they could find one or two reasons why that didn't happen. You don't go into that level. So in either scenario, I love how we're giving relationship advice when we shouldn't be because (laughs) who who knows, is, no, no. okay, I'm not going to get, this is what I said. We're not going to get into any specifics, but on a philosophical level, these were the issues, blah, 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 blah. You just, it's philosophical, philosophical. I'm trying to think of an example that isn't, you know, the example, um, you know, I don't think it matters. It it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're trying to, you just keep it at a higher philosophical level, but you have to give that, that reason because people need to know they need closure. They need some level of closure. Yep. Even if it's not the exact one they want, there's got to be some level of closure. It's also unfair because think about this. They're, they're people. And if you don't, and they might decide that, Hey, that philosophical level doesn't apply. That's fine. But at, at least say no for this one instance, it was because of that, that reason. If, if you don't tell them, who's to say they won't go make the same mistake. They could by choice that that's up to them, but you owe it to that other person because they are a person to let them know. This is why this is why. And then to go back, um, 
to go back to, you need to, this can't obviously be a blind side. So you need to be serious. And, you know, let's say there's, it was basically for us, it's a three strike rule, right? So those strikes normally come like we do a walking meeting or you like, you go to like a coffee shop or something like that. So that should be known that that's happening. I'm going to make it more known if those meetings happen. And, but the thing I was thinking in my head, I'm a less, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, stern stern. Thank you. Then Lance, because I thought like, man, am I being clear enough? Because sometimes I'm too nice and I go, well with Lance, I don't think that you can misinterpret when he's being stern. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Yeah. yeah, I don't think so. Anyway, I think, I think when I'm bark, I, when I bark, I'm heard. Um, I think I can be misinterpreted. Maybe, maybe I likes to think he's not, can't be a jerk. It, it can happen. The last thing I'll say about this, and then we're going to move on, is um, I don't know how I would have been able to do this without a business partner. So everybody who's a sole practitioner still God bless looking you. at you, Nick. I don't know how you do it, man. I really yeah. don't. I, I, I honestly, like, there are so many tough decisions that we have, Alex and I have had to have multiple discussions about or we're in a meeting and one person is a little bit off or one person can't finish the sentence and then it works out. So all you soul practitioners out there, God bless you. Round of applause. Yeah. Uh, Alex is my crutch and he's and I'm his crutch. So, yep. you know, we're weak. And some of you. you and ourselves look up to Mark LePage. But what it's funny. I'm sure he says this on, on his podcast, but we were talking about the design and stuff like that. And he's like, Oh, don't you realize my wife does all that? <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So even even guys that you might think, you know, hey, it's Mark. He's you know, Mark is awesome, of course, but like, nah, he has a support system too. That's they, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like Seagal too, Jonathan Seagal. That's his yeah. business partner's his wife. Don't really? Forget, don't exactly don't and forget his that. Son was probably the drafter and then took took yep. over. Yeah, I did not know that. He said it multiple times. I couldn't do this without my wife. He's very thankful for her. Yeah. So. Anyway, that's that's all that. Um, next thing is, I don't want to be right, but I uh, lies, I, lies. I am right. I am right, but I don't want to be. So I want to read everybody a little bit of something because you've heard me say it before in this podcast. And so I got this. Uh, I got this little email from uh, Fairview Commercial Lending, um, and I'll send it to Al so maybe he can put up the article. So everybody has seen if they have any stocks that the markets have plunged 7%. Uh, quote, unquote, our POTUS has said the Fed has gone loco. It's gone crazy, right? Um, so so I, have, I have a few little excerpts that I want to read about it. Um, about it. Uh, so interest rates. Uh, the president is clearly putting the blame on Federal Reserve that the interest rates are rising too quickly. He's called out the on multiple occasions that the Federal Reserve must be, quote, unquote, crazy to raise rates. It's important to note why the Federal Reserve is currently raising rates. Uh, So, why is the Fed raising rates, according to this article? The Federal Reserve's job is to help not only fight inflation, but smooth out economic cycles. Current inflation has been non-existent as wages have basically stagnated. The Federal Reserve is instead focusing on smoothing out the economic cycle. It appears that the Federal Reserve continues to raise rates to ensure that they have room to drop rates when the next economic cycle hits, which most economists are saying is around 2020. Who has been saying that over and over again? This is the 81st episode of Inside the Firm. Lance Keiko? Lance Keiko. 
Now, that's so funny. How does he know that? Well, there's a little thing called Austrian business cycle, and a lot of uh, hard, a lot of uh, Keynesian econ- economists don't like it because there's not a lot of data. And it really comes down to human action. And so the human action and kind of the natural cycle is like happens every seven years. We kind of see a pattern here. And when did we come out of the last uh, recession in Colorado? It was 2013. What do you add seven to that? You're at 2020. Sorry, you were going to say something, Al. So also, this is sort of conspiracy theory, but I think it's pretty logical. Their analysis that they said is that we want room to drop the interest rates when we need to because the solution to a stagnant economy is to drop the interest rates which is what helped out in the last recession and and literally their philosophy right so lance now read what they did not say if they want room to drop it because that will solve it they are thus creating the cycle by increasing it exactly and then also we can go into we're not going to but i would just encourage everybody to google how the federal reserve creates money and uh, and what that ties into is there was the you heard the word stagnation why have wages stagnated uh and why has buying power stagnated well the more money you print the less it's worth right so all of a sudden and i'm sure people have seen the memes like uh, of a grocery cart full in 1979 and then what you can buy in a grocery cart in 20 in 2018 for instance right like a tenth of what you can buy your money is just worth less right and if you look up like uh nixon in 1971 that we're taking off the gold standard so you know we're not we don't have sound money we're in a keynesian market so what i want to jump to is uh, so look at that up it'll be it'll be fascinating to you can, hopefully are you going to go off subject because i got no i'm going to stick can, on one more thing and that is, so later on in the article, we'll link to this, you should look at it, is uh, impact on real estate. This is why it matters, right? I mean, the economy matters, uh, money matters because we are we are in a high-level high, high level money uh, uh, market, it's construction and building, all of us architects. So impact on real estate. The current sell-off is a combination of market uncertainty and rising interest rates, both of which have a profound impact on real estate. Rising rates reduce buying power on a purchase and raises the cost of capital. It also pushes up capitalization rates that decrease the price of commercial real estate. Along with actual, quote-unquote, costs associated with real estate, the bigger question is what impact this has on consumer confidence. Both businesses and individuals want certainty before making a long-term purchase. With the gyrations in the stock market, I would expect consumer confidence to decrease. If the market gyrations continue, this will filter through the real estate sales over the next couple months. So, ni- 20, next year is 2019. Yeah. We need to start building immediately. Now, because I've we been saying that. <laughs> I know. Oh, it'll be done so in 2019. <laughs> but the closer you get to 2020, the more scary it gets. Yep. I need to, And that's a major election cycle, too. And we can go into all kinds of conspiracies about that as well. But we won't. Yep. So, literally, we've been talking to this one bank. I'm going to talk to another bank, and um, it was a recommendation from one of our buddies. And if it works out, I'll let you know who it is because it's a bank that you can anywhere you 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 can get these guys. And it's literally going to be if everything sounds great with them, it's going to be a race. You beat this bank, you win. The other bank, this other bank beats you, you lose. That is it, done. Oh, that other bank costs us a little bit more. Do not care. This yep. is about speed. This yep. is a speed game now. It is about speed. Now. It is about speed. And I feel like we've been conveying that <laughs> for a while. So if I wish I had time, a bunch of time to read. So, do you know who Ray Dalio 
His? No. Go ahead. Bridgewater Associates. They manage a whole bunch of money and are literally the biggest and the, the best at it. In Connecticut, they have, and I don't mean like biggest like Merrill Lynch in New York. I mean like for a private entity. I think they, they manage billions of dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And their returns consistently for 20, 30 years have beat everyone else, right? Yeah. And, and he, he does this through a couple unique uh, concepts, right? But I won't go into this. He has a free book out there and I've glossed through it. I wish I could read all of it, but it's principles for navigating big debt crises. Google that, Google Ray Dalio, put your email in, you get the whole 471 page book. Nice. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. So check, uh, consider all that stuff. Cause I, I know I, we haven't talked about it for a while, but I got that article and I go, God, Dang it, I love to be right, but I hate to be right about this. I don't yeah. want to be right. I've been saying that. I don't want to be right about this. I want something to, I don't even care if the economy just plateaus as long as, you know, it just kind of stays steady. It doesn't need to scream ahead like crazy like it did this last year with the stock market. Steady steady would be nice, you know, instead of these crashes, but yeah. we'll see. That's that. What do we got now? All right. We have our best bud, Nick Reeds. Hello, best friends. I hope you had a great week this week. A reading. The regionalism of liberation is the manifestation of the region that is especially in tune with the emerging thought of the time. It's the genius of this region to be more than ordinarily aware and more than ordinarily free. It's virtue is that his manifestation has significance for the world outside itself. To express this regionalism architecturally, it is necessary that there be building, preferably a lot of building, at one time. Only so can the expression be sufficiently general, sufficiently varied, sufficiently forced to capture people's imaginations. A region promotes ideas, region accepts ideas. Imagination and intelligence are necessary for both. To be expressed, an idea must be built. To be built, it must be particularized, localized, set within a region. And what are important are not the limitations of the region, but the resources of the region. A region's most important resources are its free minds, its imaginations, its stake in the future, its energy, and last of all, its climate, its topography, and the particular kinds of sticks and stones it has to build with. For an architecture to be really great, it must express the variety, freedom, expansiveness, and love of the physical world that are the product of the best regionalism. The regionalism of liberation. Harwell Hamilton Harris. A question. Wood? Concrete. Toodles. An answer. <laughs> Plus glass. Nice. Nice. Good. I have no other that perfect. That's all I gotta say is perfect. Um wood concrete. Plus glass. Mm-hmm. It's funny. There's uh, this regionalism needs a lot of building. So there's this group called Denver Fugly that just rails on everything. 
And we finally, I came to a conclusion. I told the guys, and I think this is right. They're railing against all building, which we know. They're railing against their own demise because they don't like change. And they say, they always keep bringing up like, I'm a native, you know, we've been here, stuff like this. They're being supplanted by the new and change. And now they have a voice to say it. And it's inevitable that it's going to happen because change is probably the only thing that's pretty, pretty constant. So it's like a a new company is taken over. Let's just say Tesla. And then Ford and these other, all all the old automotive people and CEOs are like, that's dumb. That's never going to work. Oh, I wonder why you have that perspective. Take it every industry, every company that's being taken over by the upstarts. It's always nice. Same thing for Amazon. Same thing for Apple. Every every single one. So it's not a company, but it's people. Change is happening, and it's it's not funny. It's kind of crazy. Like, oh my God, you guys, you you won't be able to do anything about this. So you're just sitting there screaming. It's insane. Yeah, the liberation of regionalism. I love that. Yeah. That's fantastic. All right. What do we what do we got next? Let's bring in the guys for ARE Jeopardy. Here we go, boys. Uh the ratio Number 1, number 1. Yep. Ratio of unit strain to temperature change, which is constant for a given material is a, the coefficient of thermal expansion. B, thermal expansion. C, compression rate. D, modulus of elasticity. So the question is the ratio of unit strain to temperature change, which is constant for a given material, is A, the coefficient of thermal expansion. B, thermal expansion. C, comp- compression rate. D, modulus of elasticity. We got one in. We got two in. We got three in. Here we go. We got A, B, A. It is A. Boom. The coefficient of thermal expansion, not just thermal expansion. Nice. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, how much? Uh, two. <laughs> A metal strip placed on corners before plastering to reinforce and protect the corner is. A, flashing. B, corner bead. C, angle iron. D, strip flashing. A metal strip placed on corners before plastering to reinforce and protect the corner is. Interesting. All right. We got them? We got answers? Yep. Yep. Flashing. B, corner bead. C, angle iron. D, strip flashing. C, B, B, it is B. It is B. It's weird because it's also called angle bead. So I don't know why they call it what bead. Are we, is it one, one, two? Oh, sh- one, one, two? One, one, two. So one, one, two. One, one, two. two. Yep. Okay. Lancy boy's turn. Keiko. Number three, what is a reinforced concrete column, usually square or rectangular, containing longitudinal reinforcing bars and separate lateral ties known as a tied column b square concrete column c reinforced column d column boy boy number three what is a reinforced concrete column usually square or rectangular containing longitudinal 
reinforcing bars, and separate lateral ties known as A. Tied column B. Square concrete column C. Reinforced column D. Column boy. What do we got, (laughs) gentlemen? Not a trick question. We have C, C, and C. The correct answer is tied column. Yeah. Kind of was tricky. All right, still 1-1-2? Yep, so they can come back. They can come back. Okay, number four. Here we go. What is a fine-grained soil whose particles are larger than clay and smaller than sand known as A, sandy clay, B, silt, C, peat, D, sandy loam? What is a fine-grained soil whose particles are larger than clay and smaller than sand known as A, sandy clay, B, silt, C, peat, D, sandy loam? Huh? Hey. What is it, boys? B. D. D. B. B. The correct answer is B. We have a winner. We have a winner. Awesome. Congratulations. Okay. So, hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you want to still engage with us, we have a book out. It's called The Creativity Code. It's about design, some of our work, um, and then cool ways to make design even better, make your process better. So check that out on Amazon, The Creativity Code. If you want to know Revit, Go to RevitRocketShip.com. More people are signing up. up. Um, it's awesome intro, uh, and then it gives you our uh, template. So basically, it, it's you're going to learn how to model how a building's built, and it's really going to help you out in the end. There's previews and stuff like that. Guarantee. Um, I even just gave a guarantee today because someone, someone asked for it. Um, doesn't even matter, so don't even worry about that. And that's all I have. What do you have, Lance? I have, if you know anybody who is extremely confident about the economy, who is extremely moderate about the economy, or is extremely fearful about the economy, share this episode. This will be episode 80 because of uh, the discussion we had about uh, the Federal Reserve raising interest rates and starting to tank the economy as we head into 2020. Thanks for listening.